uh, sorry, I'm rearranging stuff. The, the pulpit has all this stuff in here. Travis jokes about the bread in there. The pulpit at the church I was at at Kansas City had this box of candy that they used to give out during a chapel at the school. And I remember looking in there in the middle of the sermon and always wanting to get candy, but I thought that'd be distracting. So I never did. Anyway, we're in John chapter 1 today. So if you've got your Bible, find John, book of John. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, and open up to chapter 1. And uh, so this is Christmas, in case you've missed it. Might as well announce that. Uh, it is Christmas today. It is the day that we, uh, as Christians, celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is the time of year where there's a lot of focus on the details of the birth of, of, of the birth of Christ, right? Um, you know, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke give us a lot of details about that. And through that, we begin to think of the story, and you've probably heard it so many times at this point. I kind of hope you have. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but, uh, you know, you, you hear about, uh, or we think about Mary, just this, uh, this unwed virgin who is miraculously made pregnant, uh, right, by God. Uh, and that sounds crazy to us, right? Uh, and then we think about Joseph, and uh, that's Mary's fiancé, and an angel has to come and visit him to convince him, you know what, your, your, your fiancé hasn't been unfaithful to you. Uh, and, and of course, an angel visiting you was very successful at convincing him of that. Um, you know, it's not mentioned in the, in the scriptures uh, explicitly, but you imagine the animals that are there at the birth of Christ, and uh, you know, whatever animals you picture, they're camels or sheep or, I don't know, gerbils whatever you want to picture. Uh, we might think of the star. Uh, it is mentioned in the scriptures and how the wise men followed the star that they see and, and, and in the darkness of the night sky all the way until they can find the, the newborn Savior. Uh, I think my favorite image of, of some of these early, uh, of some of these statements in scripture is that of the shepherds. Uh, they're out in the fields minding their own business, and suddenly, out of nowhere, this multitude of angels appear, and, and, and they begin to praise God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, I just love the Christmas story. and It's this, like this beautifully wrapped present that becomes even more amazing as you open it up and begin to see the, the details inside of that. And, and so that's why we're going to be in John chapter 1 today. Uh, remember, all those birth details are in, are in Luke, they're in Matthew. Uh, but in John chapter 1, the significance of Christmas, the significance of the birth of Christ, really begins to show up. Am I uh, shaking back here? That's probably going to be distracting, isn't it? Am I good now? I'm not. So Ryan, if you need me to do something, just shout it out. We can be that casual. Sounds good. Woohoo! All right. So, so now in this, we're going to see this. Uh, this is not a full exposition of, of the passage. We're going to be looking at John, the first uh, 17 verses, 18 verses, uh, and, and we're just going to focus on a few different aspects of this and, and really focus in on that this Christmas morning. And, and my hope is that when you leave here today, even on Christmas when you are excited about going to, to go see gifts and whatever you're going to eat for lunch and stuff, that, that we might leave here with just an amazing uh, sense of what God has done for us and, and the reason we celebrate Christmas. So you've got your Bible. Follow along. John chapter 1. Um, we're going to read through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Stop right there. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, thank you for this day when we celebrate your birth, your coming into the world to save sinners like us. Thank you that we can meet in this place and sing these songs of freedom. Freedom from our selfishness, from our idolatry, our, our sin. And as we look in John 1 this morning, we ask that you, you give us faith to believe it and, and to give us great joy at the amazing truth that, that brings meaning to life and death for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, well, people love origin stories, right? Um, you know, the stories that, that tell us how something or someone really began, came into existence, I remember uh, hearing, I always loved the one where, you know, Steve Jobs founding Apple Computer in his parents' garage. Uh, you can only imagine how much time his parents thought he was wasting out there. Uh, you know, the, the Wright brothers, they, they get out and they go from making bicycles to making an actual plane fly into the air. Uh, you know, every superhero story ever has some origin story that has to be told. Uh, Bruce Wayne's parents, right, they get gunned down in an alley and, and that becomes the catalyst for him becoming Batman. Uh, Peter Parker, dorky student, goes on a field trip, gets bit by this radioactive spider, uh, and thus becomes Spider-Man, you know? So we love these origin stories. And, and that's why I, I think it's probably right that I tell you right from the start that Christmas is not an origin story. Not even a little bit. In fact, there is no origin story of, of God the Father or the Holy Spirit or Jesus the, the Son, because our triune God has existed always. And I, I know that is not an easy thing for us to get our heads around. <clears throat> but that doesn't make it any less true, just because we can't get our head around it. You know, I, I, I really struggle with the idea of gravity. Um, I know that's probably a strange thing to struggle with, but I, I can't get my head around it, because here we are on an earth on the earth right now, you are in this moment spinning around at 1,040 miles per hour. And yet, you're not flying off the earth. 
You know, the centrifugal for force ought to be just throwing you right off the earth, right? You should be smashing into Jupiter or something about now. I, uh, a couple years ago, I can remember going to a playground and, and spinning my children on one of those merry-go-round death trap devices uh, that you hold on to with all your life. And uh, Becca managed to hold on pretty well, but uh, our daughter, Sadie Piper and Berkeley, just went flying off and hit the first thing they came in, in contact with. And I've always remember thinking back to that and thinking, here we are spending a thousand miles an hour, over a thousand miles an hour right now, and, and not only are we not flying off the earth, we can't even feel it. I can't get my head around that. And, and so just because we can't get our head around something doesn't, doesn't make it not so. Um, another, you know, calculus. Calculus is real. I look at the equations, and what I see is some made-up language by children on the piece of paper, but, but other people can see that, and it makes sense to them. Um, you see, sometimes I, I think we miss the mystery. We miss the, the significance, the wonder of Christmas, because in the focusing on the birth of Christ, we, we, we are uh, seeing all these different details of it, and we miss the fact that while it is a birth like every other birth that has ever happened, on a deeper level, this is a birth that is unlike any other birth in the history of the world. You see, this, this is Jesus in the process of accomplishing the most significant, most stunning, most amazing thing ever accomplished in the history of the universe. In the birth of Jesus, God himself became one of us. And we can't get our head around that. God became man and, and dwelt among us. You know, as people, I think we're, we're far too easily impressed sometimes. Uh, we see famous people. You know, there's that magazine that always uh, shows famous people doing normal things, and we're like, hey, they're just like us, right? Uh, you know, they're walking their dog, and we're like, wow, okay, you know, Tom Cruise walks his dog. Um, they're normal people just like us, and we're so amazed at this. I, uh, what was it? I guess last fall, a year ago, I was at the Royals game when they beat the Astros uh, to eventually go win the World Series. Uh, and, and sitting right in front of me was the actor, was Paul Rudd. He was just a row up and a few rows over. And, and I can remember just thinking, I can't believe he's out here sitting with us like normal people. Shouldn't he be in a luxury box somewhere? Um, and then it, it kind of hit me later, you know. I, I shouldn't be impressed by this uh, because he is just a normal person. He is just like every other person on the planet. Uh, it's really not that big of a deal that he's sitting among average people watching a baseball game. But you see, what should amaze us even more than it does, because it becomes some sort of white noise in our world, is that, that Jesus has come and dwelt among humanity. God has come to dwell among his people. I mean, holy wow, right? This is a big deal. And, and Jesus came not just to hang out, you know, not just to slum it with his creation for a while, but he came to be a, a sacrifice, to be killed. He came to be salvation for us. So we look backwards at this event, right? Uh, Christmas happened some 2,000 years ago. Uh, and, and because of that, sometimes we miss the fact that this was actually a culmination of a long-awaited event that people were looking forward to. Uh, Micah, Micah 5.2, written 750 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, it's a prophecy, and it's talking uh, about the city of Bethlehem. And it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
And the fulfillment of, of that prophecy and many others is what we call Christmas. So let's, let's consider our, our, our passage today. Um, don't worry, that introduction is not going to tell you how long this sermon is going to be. Uh, but the first passage there, the first phrase there, it says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And that might sound very familiar to you because it's this echo of the first verse of the entire Bible. You go all the way back to Genesis 1, right? And only in Genesis 1, it is, it is speaking about the beginning of the universe. That, that is an origin story. And in, in John 1, it's telling us that, that Jesus was there. He was there before anything else was there. Um, so it might help us understand, to just tell you right from the start, that uh, when we read the word, the word, this is hard to say, when you read the word, the word, so that's in quotes maybe, um, here in John 1, it's a reference to, to Christ. It's speaking about Jesus. And so you can almost read this as, so, so Jesus was in the beginning, and Jesus was with God, and, and Jesus was God. See, every, every one of us here, every single one of us has an actual beginning point. Uh, there was a time when, when my mom and my dad existed, but I did not exist. And there was a time when, when I existed and Laura existed, uh, but our children did not exist at all. Uh, the moment of, of conception marks our, our change then from, from not existing anywhere at all to actually existing. Before that moment, you, you simply weren't. You just weren't. You didn't exist, but, but Jesus is very different, right? Uh, Christmas doesn't mark Jesus coming into existence. Uh, perhaps it doesn't need to be said, but, but Jesus didn't become God. Jesus always was God, and Jesus has always been. And so like we've already said, this is not an origin story. It's the story of, of God putting on humanity. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Almighty, humbling himself to become flesh and bone like you and I. And again, that is hard to get our minds around. In verse 3, we learn that Jesus actually created his own body in the womb of Mary, right? It says, all things were made through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was, was made. You know, there are, there, there are many who were prophets of God, those who spoke the word of God. Um, Moses, Isaiah, these are examples of prophets. Jesus also was a prophet, but while Moses and Isaiah would merely speak the word of God, Jesus is unique in that he is the word of God. He is this unfolding. He is this revelation. Jesus is the word made flesh, meaning that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Do you ever think about the power of words? Um, you know, we, we talk a lot in our culture now about words, and we, we think, you know, uh, our words have power. I, uh, you can use your words to tear someone down, criticizing them, insulting them, saying hatred things towards people. Our, our words also have the, the power to encourage someone, to build them up, you know, when we, when we say encouraging things, when we comfort people in times of, of pain in their lives. But the power of our words is, is nothing like the power of God's word. Um, you ever try to create something with your words? You, I mean, you can try that right now if you want, you know. Um, let there be a giant pink rabbit. Nothing. I could do that for the next 40 years. No giant pink rabbit would show up unless one of you decide to prank me and bring a giant pink rabbit in here. Uh, but my words wouldn't actually create anything. 
But you know, if God were to speak right now a, a desire for a giant pink rabbit to appear before us, we'd all be staring at a giant pink rabbit. That's the power of God's word, right? And, and here we are seeing that Jesus is the word made flesh. Uh, I, I find it interesting in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, God is speaking through his prophet, Isaiah, and, and he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish whatever it sets out to do. And so in Genesis 1-3, when God said, let there be light, what happened? Well, there was light. Um, the true wonder of Christmas, then, is this, that uh, it's that the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. And in John 1, 4, 14, in our passage today, it reveals to us, and it says this, it says, uh, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and so the Word that is Jesus Christ came to accomplish something. I don't know if we think about that when we look at the nativity scene. That this, this baby, this fragile child, has actually come to accomplish something. You know, it was made very clear what that purpose was when the angel spoke to Joseph. Uh, the earthly father of, of Christ in Matthew one twenty one, I believe the clients read it earlier. Uh, speaking of Mary, the angel said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the purpose. First uh, Peter 3.18 makes the purpose even more explicit when, when Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The righteous suffered, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's his people, us. And, and the purpose is to bring us to God. And, and so to accomplish that, Jesus had to become flesh, Right? He had to, to be a, a complete, or have a complete identification with us. See, Jesus didn't just look like a man. He actually became a man. Real flesh, real heart beating in his chest, real blood flowing through that, real brain, a real digestive system. You know, his birth was messy, just like every other birth. As a baby, he would have cried for milk. He would have nursed at his mother's breast. Later, he would have had to learn to walk and scrape his knees and you know, experienced pain in that way. He learned Greek and Hebrew, uh, just like the other children would have had to learn. And he went through puberty. You know, all these human things. And he had to, to learn this, this trade of carpentry, some way to, to actually make a living, to buy food with, right? Uh, it seems ridiculous when you know he can make it. That's part of his humanity, though, right? Let, let that soak in. You know, God... The only God, the God who created the sun and the stars and the earth uh, that we are at this very moment standing on. And not flying off, but standing on. This God willingly made himself a man. I mean, do you realize that at one point in history, uh, God became a single cell in Mary's womb? That's insane. You know, the all-powerful became a powerless zygote's in Mary's womb, so that he could redeem his people from their sin. That's 
love. You know, that's love like the world has not since or, or even before ever seen love of that magnitude. You see, our God became human just like you and I, and he did so because Jesus had to live and die as a man to be a mediator between God and man because, well, as even our children's catechism says, right, uh, you know, God is a spirit and does not have a body like man, but only flesh can die. And so it was absolutely necessary that God have a body like us if he is to die in the place for us. That's the point of Colossians 2.9 when it tells us that for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Divinity becomes humanity in the birth of Christ. And while many have, many have died martyrs in the, over the years, only Jesus was actually born a martyr with that purpose in mind. See, long before the day of Jesus' birth, the, the plan for him to dwell among men and women and to be a sacrifice for their sin was put in process. Um, I know I've used this analogy before, but imagine for a moment, this is a hard thing to get our heads around, that uh, you created a video game. <clears throat> You're a programmer. Maybe you're much more gifted than you really are. Travis could probably really do this. <clears throat> There's characters in this game. Uh, they interact with each other, and they, um, they go against much of what you've, you've taught them, right? Um, they kill each other. They hurt each other. They hate each other. They disregard you as their creator. And yet, you know, the only way to rescue them uh, from what will be the punishment for their sin is to actually go into this game to move from, from being what you are as a human, um, laying that aside and, and becoming little more than uh, a digital video game character. Letting go of your power, all the while knowing that this, these creations of you within this game are, are ultimately going to kill you, reject you. And for what? Because you tell them that you actually created this world they live in? Every one of them, right? I mean that you actually created all of them. And I realize it's not a perfect analogy. It breaks down real quick, but uh, it gives us some idea of the humbling transition that Jesus went through in the incarnation uh, when the Word becomes flesh. James Montgomery Boyce wrote of this, this humbling act of God. I just have an extended quote here I want to read you. Um, just speaking of the humility of, of Christ and what he's done, he said, the angels had been contemplating the form in which Christ would enter human history. Would he appear in a blaze of light, bursting into the night of the Palestinian countryside, dazzling all who beheld him? Perhaps he would appear as a mighty general marching into pagan Rome as Caesar did when he crossed the Rubicon. Perhaps he would come as the wisest of Greek philosophers, putting the wisdom of Plato and Socrates to foolishness by a supernatural display of intellect. But what is this? There is no display of glory, no pomp, no marching of the feet of the heavenly legions. Instead, Christ lays his robe aside, the glory that was his from eternity. He steps down from the heavenly throne and becomes a baby in the arms of a mother in a far eastern colony of the Roman Empire. At this display of divine condescension, the angels are amazed and they burst into such a crescendo of song that the shepherds hear them on the hills of Bethlehem. So the humility, the humbleness is what we mean by that. And this birth um, continued until he lays down his life and death as well, right? Uh, Philippians 2, 7 and 8, Travis preached on this a 
first sermon he ever preached, actually, uh, speaks of what Jesus did. It says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. So one more thing I want to show us here, and then we'll close. Uh, Verse 16, John chapter 1, ends with this statement. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I point this out because it's, it's not just theology for theology's sake when we talk about this stuff. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It, it actually means something. It's telling us that we receive grace from the hand of, of the Lord, of God. That, that's why the incarnation, the story of, of Christmas, is, is absolutely necessary if our sin is to be forgiven. That's why here in John, you know, the Gospel of John, just 11 verses later beyond our passage, when John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him as a grown man, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, we receive grace upon grace. We receive faith in Jesus, and with it we receive forgiveness of our sin. And that's a work accomplished by Jesus. It is a work accomplished by Jesus and merely received by us when we look to Christ with faith. And so then today, as as we go home this morning, as we go and we play with new toys and we eat wonderful food and we enjoy the fellowship of family, let us not forget that God has come into the world to save us from our sin and thus met our greatest need with the greatest gift the world has ever seen. May our hearts be grateful this day as we remember the birth of our Savior. Let us pray. Father, that you even care to save us from our sin is a thing far too amazing for me to even make sense out of most days. That you would enter into humanity and this fallen world from your place of perfection, from your place of contentment, is mind-boggling. Thank you for becoming flesh to redeem your people, so that we can look forward to the day when we will dwell with you forever.